Hello and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me today is a pastor, entrepreneur, real estate developer. He's also the founder, president, and CEO of the U.S. Minority Contractors Association. Please help me welcome Reverend Larry Bullock to Self Made. Reverend Bullock, Thank I'm you. glad to have you on the show. My pleasure. Now, now your resume is so extensive that we're going to try to get through it as, as best we can. Just so many accomplishments and achievements there. But I want to start off as a child. Tell me about where you were born and where did you grow up and what your childhood was like? Well, first of all, Dee, thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to oh, speak to welcome. your audience. Very well. Uh, I'm humbled and honored and anything that you said about me is not true. Just thank God <laughs> for the rumor. But I'm a son of the South uh, from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, and I was fortunate to have been uh, selected to be the first black here, first black there, high school and college in Mount Airy, North Carolina, yeah. Winston-Salem. And I was the first black graduate at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. And uh, that was in the 60s. Wow. And so I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina and uh, played ball, and went to school and all that sort of stuff. I'm a son of the South. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. I'm a Tar Heel. You're a Tar Heel. Now, uh, growing up, did you have siblings? Uh, what yes, was your childhood yes. like? Well, uh, believe it or not, my mom embarrassed me one day at the dinner table. Uh, we were sitting around the dinner table and she says, you know, Lawrence, you're my favorite. And I said, Mom, you can't say that. <laughs> she says, I'm your mother and I'll say anything. So I had two brothers and four sisters. Okay. And I'm the second uh, a child. My older sister is now deceased. But uh, we're a very large family, seven of us. Okay. And uh, like I said, we grew up in Winston-Salem, which most people think about Winston and Salem cigarettes. I never smoked a day in my life. <laughs> and then we moved up to Mount Airy, North Carolina. Okay. Most people really don't know that name, but they really do know that name because they remember Andy Griffin. Yeah. And Andy Griffin said Mayberry. But right. there was no such town as Mayberry. It was Mount Airy. Really? Okay. And so that's what he and I have in common. Okay. But that's in the Piedmont part of the state of North Carolina. And then Salisbury, you know, is down right outside of Charlotte. Where did you go to high school? I went to high school at Mount Airy High School. First black graduate in 1965. Okay. And I played football, basketball, ran track, and uh, obviously did pretty well in school. And yeah. uh, got a uh, scholarship to Catawba College. And tell me about your college years. What did you major in and what was that like? Well, uh, I'll, I'll give you the bad news. Okay. Uh, they told me I'd be the first black graduate there, the first black student. And so the day that I went, I went around the quad in front of the administration building. And uh -huh. They gave me a, a tremendous welcome. They had me hung in effigy in a tree. Oh, wow. And they put a sign around my neck, told me to look inward, go home. So in Salisbury, North Carolina, I went there uh, to major in political science pre-law and to play basketball, run track. They tried to get me to play football because I was also a football player. Yeah. And so I majored in political science pre-law. It's a long story how I got into pre-law. And this program is probably not long enough for me to tell you, but the short <laughs> version is, yeah. all I ever wanted to be was to be a history teacher and a coach. Okay. That was the height of my ambition. Yeah. So I'd never made less than a B in history, mostly A's. I went to college at Catawba College and I went to the history class and I'm majoring in history and I never got more than a C. And so I approached the professor after the class and I said, uh, Dr. Singer, you must understand, I cannot get a, a good graduate degree if I'm just making C's. And he used the, the B word and told me I'd never get more than a C. I went and told my coach. My yeah. coach told me, no, you don't go back there anymore. You come down to my office the next day. And I went down to his office the next day and the chairman of the Department of Political Science met me there. Yeah. And from that point on, I was majoring in political science pre-law. That's gotcha. how I got out of history. 
but I walked across the stage as the first black graduate at Catawba College. And uh, two years ago, they honored me as the alumni of the year. Oh, wow. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank yeah. you. So uh, you graduate from college uh, and you start your journey uh, along your professional career. Yes, sir. So what's your first stop? What's your my first stop was Evanston, Illinois, where my aunt was a principal of a school who subsequently became, as you know, the mayor, yeah. first black female mayor of Evanston, Illinois, four terms. And uh, I came in route to law school and was going to go to DePaul. And little did I know that God had other plans for me. So I taught for two years. And then a friend of mine who played on that Loyola National Championship basketball team said, you know, this hospital association is looking for a lobbyist and they've had some problems with the Democrats. And I know you're a Democrat. <laughs> so will you come and have dinner with them? Long and short, I had dinner with them. The next thing I know, they offered me a job to be a lobbyist. And so I became the first black lobbyist for the Illinois Hospital Association. And as I sat and observed what was done and what wasn't being done in the legislature, I realized I can do a better job. And so uh, 12 years after I walked across the stage at the college, the first black graduate, I raised my right hand and took my open office yeah. and assumed my seat in the Illinois House of Representatives wow. in less than a decade and a half. And so you served in the House for? Uh, 10 years. For 10 years. State of Illinois. So talk to me about that process of getting elected. Well. The good news was I got involved in civil rights with Reverend Jesse Lewis Jackson. Uh, he caught me and played the guilt trip on me and explained to me that I had a, I had a, a unfinished business and I had a check that was written to Dr. King and others and I owed it to the civil rights movement to use all of my intellect to come work for him for free. Yeah. And so I, <laughs> I traveled with him across America, speech writers and so forth. And so that was for about two years. And out of that, I began to hone my skills in community organizing way before Obama. And I had more public housing projects in the district that I chose to run in than any other uh, district in the state of Illinois. Yeah. And so I started out working with the people that I knew, loved, and appreciated, which were the least of them yeah. in the public housing project. So uh, I defeated the machine in Chicago, uh, which was not a small feat. Right. And I took my seat in the House of Representatives. And so uh, while serving in the House, what are some of the things you accomplished that you're most proud of? The thing I'm most proud of is that uh, uh, the late Mayor Harold Washington and I created the statute in the state of Illinois dealing with affirmative action. But my uh, proudest accomplishment is that I was the uh, sponsor of legislation allowed for public housing tenants to serve on the Chicago Housing Authority board because mm. I had eight of them in my district and I was yeah. very loyal to my constituents. Yeah. And the other thing I was proud of is that I sponsored the bill in the state of Illinois to remove sales tax on food and medicine, which was a very regressive tax. It hits hardest on those who uh, take their shower in the evening than those who take their showers in the morning. Right. And right. so I was very proud of that. And of course, I had the legislation to bring the World's Fair to Chicago. Uh, that didn't pass. But I also passed legislation allowing for branch banking uh, in the state of Illinois at a time when you couldn't go across state lines yeah. to do banking. And we had many uh, big money center banks in Chicago, uh, Continental Bank, First National Bank. And the word was, if we didn't allow those companies off the East Coast to come in and do banking in Illinois, we could uh, go and establish branches along the East Coast. So I sponsored the bill in the House and the president of the Senate, Sil Phil Rock, sponsored it in the Senate. And so my name is on that legislation as well, allowing for branch banking. Wow. So talk to me about um, your journey into entrepreneurship. You have a lot of different uh, business ventures that you're a part of. Uh, but tell me, how did you get into entrepreneurship? Well, one of the things that I was most impressed by when I first came out of college was the opportunity to be an entrepreneur. I taught and I coached and stuff like that. Yeah. But even growing up in Mount Airy, I had this affinity and this passion for construction. 
Yeah. And so since I was a fair head athlete in the summer, I had lots of jobs. And yeah. one of the guys who was one of our standing alumni there at Jones High School, his name was Eddie Banner, he asked me to come work for him in the summer uh, and just being a gopher, being a laborer, bringing bricks and mortar. Right. And so that's how I, I was introduced into construction. And so when I uh, got elected to the legislature, I already had my own company, April Cobra. And we were general contractors, water and sewer, and of course, real estate development. Yeah. And I've always had a passion for construction. I like just building stuff. Right. You know, and uh, that's how I got off into entrepreneurship uh, was uh, through construction. Now, what challenges have you seen being a uh, minority business enterprise? Uh, what, what are the challenges you, you faced and you've had to overcome? Well, I always tell people that there are two hurdles and two obstacles in the build industry, in construction. You know this very well because you're an entrepreneur. One is a lack of expertise, yep. because when you're African-American, you don't always grow up sitting around the dinner table learning the trades and the tricks and the trades of construction. Right. The second is a lack of access to capital. Absolutely. And then there's an unspoken one in major urban areas, which is labor management relations, or we call it fighting with the unions. Right. So not only did I uh, have to overcome those hurdles, but I understand that from my constituents at the U.S. Minority Contractors Association, which I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. Right. That's what so many minority entrepreneurs in the build industry encounter. Right. Uh, they lack the expertise. Yep. And if they don't join the unions, it's hard for them to get reliable labor force. Right. And they lack access to capital, which is where you guys come in with the P3 group. Right. And I'm so extremely proud of you. And that's why we gave you that. Thank you. I appreciate uh, because it. Because you well. all know how to fund and finance. And it's so critical. Right. During these days and time that you have access to money. Yeah. And then, of course, if you're in major urban areas, you have to make peace with the unions. And yeah. I don't know what the P3, how you how handle that. But, you know, many of the larger firms in America, the white general contractors, they're union. Yeah. And absolutely. you can't work for them if you're not union. Right. And, and w one of the things that we realize is that when we go into union uh, cities, that we have to partner with a union general yes, contractor yes, because otherwise you just uh, setting yourself up for a showdown, yes, yes, you know, like yes. the OK Corral or yes, something. Right. Yes. So. Uh, you have to you have to navigate those waters. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think this is a good opportunity for us to, to kind of pivot to the uh, U.S. Minority Contractors yes. Association. Yes. Uh, I want to start first by you telling me about what led to you creating such a transformative organization. Well, I was called. Uh, I was called like I was called in the ministry. Yep. But I was called by the city of Chicago and Harold Washington was the mayor. And the Chicago Department of Procurement Services came to me and they said, Senator, you and Harold Washington passed the legislation creating these minority programs. We have minority firms coming down here wanting us to certify them to get their MBE, WBE, and so forth. And they're bringing all of their paperwork down here in a brown paper bag. Right. We cannot do it. Uh, it's a conflict of interest. So we need an assist agency. And so that started 31 years ago in Evanston, Illinois, Northwestern University Business Incubator, when we became the suburban black contractors. And in less than five years, we morphed into suburban minority contractors. Uh -huh. And then uh, for the last 15 years, we've been called the U.S. minority contractors because we stepped out of Illinois over to Indiana yeah. and to Wisconsin. Right. But the U.S. minority contractors is the hub of minority contractors in America. Right. And we do two things and we do those well. 
and uh, we are specialists in the build industry. The two things we do is technical assistance and advocacy. Yeah. And you know all about that because you all help us. Right. And uh, the P3 group are proud members of the U.S. minority contractors. Absolutely. And we are extremely proud of you and your team when we can go into states and counties and places across America and tell them that we have an African-American-owned strategic partner that can come and bring service to those communities. And so many of the uh, municipal administrators, county administrators who look like you and I are delighted that there's somebody can come in and bring the bonding. And so that's what we do at the U.S. Minority Contract Association. We get firms bid ready and we get them uh, in positions where they can scale their businesses. We have some other uh, African-American owned hedge funds that are interested in helping us scale our newest constituents who are the IT industry. Right, right. And uh, we're very proud of that relationship. So, so currently, uh, just kind of tell the viewers, just so they'll know, uh, what type of uh, trades and organizations are members of the U.S. Minority Contractors Association currently? Okay. Well, D, as you know, uh, we represent the entirety of the build industry. Right. Thanks to you all, P3 Group. We can tell people we can start from getting site acquisition, which is real estate. Right. Uh, We tell them we can also help you fund it, which is what you guys do. Right. Then we tell them we can build it for you and we can close it out. Right. And we say, if you let us help you, uh, we'll show you through the P3 group that you can, in fact, get a guaranteed maximum price not to exceed. And they'll split the fee with you in eight cent out of every dime spent stays in the community. Right. We have success when we can sell that to municipalities, to counties, and other people. In the private sector, we're now working in the healthcare industry, and we're working in the logistical transportation industry, and we're also working in the IT industry. Many of those entities are looking for diversity, equity, and inclusion. We bring that to the table, and we say to them, we want private-public partnerships. And one of the things I learned in civil rights from Reverend Jackson he used to say, and he called me Bullock. He said, Bullock, let me tell you something. When you come to the banquet table of life, come with something other than appetite. Right. <laughs> Bring something. Bring something with so you. So I, I say that to the members all the time. Uh, we want to come to this table of the, the build industry. We yep. want to come to this table called construction, engineering, and architecture. We want to bring the best that we have, and we want them to know that we bring something to them. Right. Because all of them are looking for a return on investment. Right. What you right. do in the P3 group, you, you may do it with HBCUs because it's the right thing to do. But because you have shareholders, you have to re- show a return on your investment. Right. Right. And so uh, I think a big piece that you touched on is the advocacy piece. Yes. Uh, because, you know, obviously without a voice, yes, uh, you, you know, you. you you don't get hurt. You get kind of lost in the, in the in the weeds. And so talk to me more about the advocacy uh, component of the uh, U.S. Minority Contract Association. Well, it starts primarily with the public sector because it's in the public sector that they have requirements and goals. Right. Uh, we call them affirmative action goals, minority uh, uh uh, women-owned, disadvantaged, veteran-owned right. enterprises, right. and now they've put in some other alphabets in there from the LBGTQ. <laughs> yeah. uh, but many, many units of government place these goals from the federal down to the state to the local level. Right. And so when you bid their projects in professional services and construction, you have to meet these goals and aspirations. Right. The advocacy comes when we are representing our constituents, just like the labor unions do, the Bar Association, the Medical Society. Right. We're no different than the United States Chamber of Commerce. 
we represent our constituency. Right. And we are unashamedly and unapologetically uh, African-American in predominance. But right. we do have Hispanic and women and non-minority members. Yeah. But the advocacy comes when we can speak uh, for a large constituency yeah. to the units of government and to the private sectors. Otherwise, they would not have a voice. Right. What what uh, would you say is the biggest or are the biggest uh, changes you've seen in the construction industry over the last uh, 20, 30 years uh, with you know organizations like uh, yours that have come on the scene and have that advocacy piece? What what I guess improvements have you seen? Well, the biggest improvement I've seen is the quality of ownership. Uh, there was a time when African-Americans didn't have access to the formal education. Yeah. Uh, particularly for the backroom stuff that right. you guys do very well. Right. And you know that the construction management and the and the backroom stuff that deals with uh, risk management right. in terms of bonding and insurance and those right. things. Uh, we're finding that the constituents that we represent now, uh, many of them have a higher level of understanding, i.e. sophistication yeah. than heretofore 30 years ago. Right. But we still have a long way to go. Absolutely. Because most of these individuals in our association that are our members, uh, they're small minority owned firms, but less than 10 employees. Right. Many of them are probably less than $250,000 a year. But we do have firms that can do $112, $212 million bonding. Right. I mean, you guys are larger than that, but uh, most of the firms that we represent are in that uh, particular demographic. Right. And so what we try to do is get them bid ready. Yep. And what does that mean? They can't do eyeballing. They have to do estimating. Right. Cost estimating. Right. And that takes time to teach them what it means to estimate a job by looking at the blueprints and the specifications. Right. And to be able to put that number together and be competitive so that they don't lose money. Right. Or so that they don't bid so high they don't ever get any jobs. Correct. Correct. And understanding uh, how to create schedules. Yes, sir. Right. Because, yes, sir. you know, if you think the job is going to take six months. And it's, it's going to take 12, uh, you know, you, you, you set yourself up for a major loss. You know, Adi, and you know this better than I do. A lot of firms, historically, when this program first got started, were taken advantage of. Absolutely. You, absolutely. you understand what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. I, I want to say to your audience, they were doing it the wrong way. Right. They, they saw an opportunity to make a lot of money. Yep. And so major firms that were non-minority would come to them and say, we'd like to put your name on here. Right. And we're going to give you 10 percent. You don't have to do anything for it. Just right. show up once right. a month and get your check. That's right. And a lot of them ended up in jail. They, 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 they pay you yes. to get out the way. To get out the way. Yeah. And, and so the program got a real bad rap. Right. And so one of the things we do at USMCA is to try and teach firms what not to do. Right. As well as to teach them what to do. That's imp that's equally as important because even today, uh, you know, we are approached by minority firms alongside a majority firms where it's obvious that this is a, uh, a front man yes, type of transaction. Yes, sir. And of course, we don't enter into those type of relationships, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, but you still have uh, owners yes, sir. who look at the quick dollar yes, sir. and they end up being you know, puppeteered yes, by sir. these uh, majority firms yes, to travel around and, and get contracts in their name and they get that 10 percent. Yes, sir. Get out the way money. Yes, sir. But they never grow. They never they never build capacity and they are beholden to yes, 
uh, those companies. Those companies can tell them what to pursue, what not to yes. pursue, yes. Uh, when to turn left, when to turn yes. right. So it's, it's still even today. Yeah, in the 21st century. In the 21st century. And so even with all of the indictments and stuff like that, there's still people that do that. And because they want to do it the easy way. Yep. The way you and I are talking about building scale is yep. the hard it's way. It's the hard way. You know, I it's tell hard. them, you want to put your name on the front of that check because you've been putting your name on the back of that check right. on Friday. <laughs> right. It's nice to put your name on the front of that check. A, that check better clear. Right. But B, uh, you might be the last one paid That's right. on those projects. So you've got to be prepared for that. And you're not going to work 40 hours a week. I don't know any entrepreneur that works 40 hours a week. Not possible. It's impossible. Not a real one. Not a real one. <laughs> so you're talking 68 hours a week. Yeah. And uh, one of the things accountant used to tell me, you need to pay yourself some. Right. And that was hard for me to understand because yep. I'm looking at the dollars that are coming in, they're going out. Yeah. Uh, but you do have to pay yourself as well. Let me say this. Uh, this idea of minority business enterprises, women business enterprises, yeah. is under tremendous attack. And I've been saying to the USMCA for at least the last 10 years that this is not going to last always. Yeah. And I used to tell them, pray every day that Anthony Kennedy wakes up. He was a Supreme Court justice. Right. Well, he's still waking up, but he's not on the Supreme Court. Right. And there are forces, just like there are forces against uh, women's reproductive health and civil rights. There are forces that are mounting to eliminate these programs that we're benefiting from. Right. The good news is. Uh, in this uh, $1.5 trillion bill, uh, President Biden signed it, and the Congressional Black Caucus, who honored you, yep. uh, put provisions in there that will go beyond the legislation. Right. And so what we have to be prepared and be ready that in the event something happens, that your P3 groups and others, you can compete without the program. That, that is, the, you know, we built our company on the principle that we can compete head to head. Yes, sir. Because... I recognize because, as you know, I was a uh, highway street and bridge contractor uh, before I uh, started the P3 group. And so I have seen everything you can think of in terms of all of the you know, shady dealings and, and, and people wanting to uh, get you out the way. Yes. And, and so I understand you know, what it takes. And so we've been fortunate as a company to be able to chart our own course yes. and be able to create uh, a model that works as a standalone against regardless of who our comp yes. competitors are. Yes, yes. Now, we can't compete against people's perceptions and attitudes, yes. but we can compete everywhere else. Everywhere you know, else. You, you, there'll be pl places you go. They're just yes. not going to want you there. Yeah. Right. And That's so right. you can't That's you can't right. change That's that. Right. That's but. You know, we've been blessed to where, you know, our, our phone ring, you know, a dozen times a day mm -hmm. from people that are interested in what we can do and what we can deliver uh, to their communities and their constituents. And and so I think that that's something that's critical for minority businesses yes. to be able to build capacity and be, and build uh, uh, the have that ability to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient, because you're not going to be able to uh, make it if you're relying on someone else to uh, make all the calls for you. And, you know, I, I, and I'm saying this because I believe it and I've said it to you over and over again. Uh, you are unique as an entrepreneur, as an African-American entrepreneur, because you want to pay it forward and give back. Right. So often I talk to the larger African-American owned firms and I say, you know, uh, one of the most embarrassing moments I ever had in this uh, USMCA legacy is I was sitting around a table talking to a big white general contractor telling him that they need to cut us in or cut it out. 
yeah. and that they needed to step up and help us. And the president of the company said to me, well, have you asked any of your own black general contractors to help you? I paused for a moment. I said, yes, I have. But they didn't have a 200 year head start. Right. Right. So I'm constantly trying to talk to the successful African-American owned, Hispanic owned firms and like you all and you all accepted the challenge to come and join hands with us to help us create additional entrepreneurs. Right. Right. Because we need your expertise. We need your bandwidth. And the good news about the P3 group, and you've heard me say this many times, when I bring them to the P3 group, I know they're going to be taken care of. Right. If right. they don't have those bondings, you all are going to find a way to do it. Yep. If yep. they lack that backroom support, you all are going to help them with it. Yep. And that really is why we do what we do. Reverend, we're out of time on the show, <laughs> but man, I appreciate so, so much Thank having you all. It's been a great conversation. God bless you. Uh, I wish we could have you here uh, much Anytime. longer. And to my viewers, I want to thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.